0: Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. Improving strength is a typical component of physical rehabilitation after injury, but often standing in the way of all the muscle building necessary to recover from an injury is the injury itself. While working at Brooke Army Medical Center, physical therapist Johnny Owens saw wounded warriors who needed to improve strength in injured limbs without further compromising vulnerable joints or soft tissue. So he and his colleagues began experimenting with a relatively new treatment method that's gaining in popularity, blood flow restriction training, or BFR. The technique, which involves applying a tourniquet to an injured limb to partially restrict blood flow, allows patients to make greater strength gains while lifting lighter loads, thereby reducing the overall stress placed on the limb. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, Johnny Owens describes how blood flow restriction training works, shares his vision for the potential of the technique within healthcare, and discusses where research is ongoing. Here's our conversation with Johnny Owens.
1: Blood flow restriction training, it's been referred to as tourniquet training. And I have to think for most people, the words tourniquet and training don't seem to go together. So paint the picture for me from the outside. What does that look like? There's... A lot of different
2: names and terms you'll hear this called, so blood flow restriction training, tourniquet training, occlusion training, and what we've really been trying to do, especially publishing this stuff in the medical literature, is just everyone start adopting one term, and so blood flow restriction training's kind of been the choice term that we're using now because we think it describes what this does the best. And essentially what it is is you put a specialized tourniquet system on a limb either the arms or the legs, and we always put it on the highest portion, so you put it up on your upper thigh or on your upper arm, and you inflate it to a set pressure where you're stopping the blood from going back to your heart, but you're allowing just some blood to go down into the limb. And when you do that, it feels fairly snug like a blood pressure cuff, and you start exercising using a light weight, and you can use this light weight and get better results than if you exercise with that same weight without the tourniquet and very similar results to if you
1: exercise with a very heavy weight. So why does that work? In other words, cutting off the blood flow, why are the effects greater with lesser weight or the same as they would be with lesser weight?
2: So there's a ton of researchers in labs all over the world trying to really nail down the exact mechanism of why it works. The one thing we do know, there's been so much published data now, is that it does work, and we can pretty much say that definitively. Why it works is multiple factors. For one thing is your body kind of prefers to just use what we call the slow twitch fibers or what we're sitting here using talking to each other is, you know, we're breathing oxygen and that's allowing our body to be as efficient as possible and just kind of let our muscles do the minimal amount of work. Now, if all of a sudden I jumped up and I started running as fast as I could, your body is going to start to switch to using what's called its fast-twitch fibers. And these are the real powerful muscle fibers, and and they're the ones your body really doesn't want to use unless you're forced to because after you use those fibers, things start to happen. You know, your body starts to go into a process where it builds more muscle. So one thing that we are pretty sure that we do with blood flow restriction training is we limit the amount of oxygen into that muscle – And even though you're exercising with a very light weight, because there's not as much oxygen available, your body switches to having to use those big, fast-switch fibers. And, you know, your body feels like it's using very, very heavy weight and and doing something hard, but you can be lifting, you know, just
1: a 5- or 10-pound weight. And so just to clarify on that point on how it feels, I can imagine somebody listening to this and saying, wait a minute, so I can put this cuff around my arm, for example, and now use a lower weight and get the same benefits. Well, that's a done deal, right? I'll do that because I can lift a lighter weight, still get the benefits. But is the effort basically the same as the heavier weight if the cuff were not there?
2: You know, effort's an interesting term when it comes to this. So the effort as far as load is definitely less. And so the work that you're putting on your tendons and your joints and your muscle is minimal because typically to get strong, our guidelines tell us you got to lift anywhere from, you know, 65 to 90% of what we call the one repetition max. So you go lift as hard of a weight and as much weight as you can lift until you can't lift it anymore. And then you have to lift 65 to 90% of that to make gains happen. And that's what we call a mechanical tension model with Blood flow restriction, we typically exercise at around only 20 to 30% of that. So the effort on your limbs is very minimal. Now, what happens when you start to use those big muscle fibers, those fast-twitch fibers, even when you're doing it with blood flow restriction, you start to get that lactate or lactic acid kind of burning feeling. And so if anyone's exercised really hard and they feel that burning that's happening in the muscle, that happens very significantly, we have blood flow restriction. And typically what you do is you work out really hard and you start to build up that lactate and then you rest and it all goes away. So one trick we do is we keep the cuff inflated and that lactate stays in your limb while you're doing your rest breaks before the next set. And that lactate correlates to a really high perceived effort. So the lactate or the burning you feel in your muscle makes you feel like you're working much, much harder even though the actual load isn't hard on it. And that's really a key point because the more it seems like we can build up this lactic acid in the muscle and hold it there, the more we see these big, what we call systemic or full body changes start to happen where your growth hormone goes up really high and the protein synthesis, which is needed
1: to make your muscles bigger, really gets augmented or kicked in a whole lot more. To make sure I follow that, you've limited the load on the body itself, but the effort I feel I'm putting into it, the whole, man, this is hard to do, that's essentially just as high as it was before. It is,
2: yeah, and it's sometimes even higher because, again, that lactic acid, the higher it goes up, the more you feel like it's an extreme effort, and that correlates more to a really high heart rate or even blood pressure. The, The lactic acid makes you really feel like you're working out hard, and it makes sense because normally, if you're producing lactic acid or that kind of burning feeling in your muscle, you are doing something really, really hard, and your body is telling you, whoa, what are we doing? Are we running away from a dinosaur or what? You know, We create that same type of event, but with very, very low loads. So it's great for someone who can't lift loads, like an elderly person or someone who's just had surgery or an injury, and and there was no way they'd be able to, to lift something heavy enough to make a real change happen.
1: And so I want to talk a little bit later about the various conditions or injuries that this would be good for. But before, just kind of keeping on that same theme, We talked about the lighter weight, for example, the less resistance, how does it affect time? In other words, can you also make gains with less time, or are the workouts or exercises typically shorter than they would be when you're doing blood flow restriction training, or would you do about the same amount of time or reps as you would do in another situation?
2: What we've seen clinically and in, in the research as well is that it does seem to decrease the amount of time to get to the results that you wanna have, especially if you're injured or you have a weak muscle because of an old injury or something like that. And part of it is to typically make a gain in the strength or the size of the muscle, you gotta go through a progression where, again, your body wants to use the most efficient muscle fibers first and that's those slow twists that use the oxygen. So that's why you go to the gym, you lift a little bit, take a break, you got to go lift a little bit more, and and over time it gets harder and harder for you because your body eventually starts to have to use those fast-twitch fibers. We take the oxygen out fairly quickly, and so your body goes right to using those fast-twitch fibers, you know, early on your first or second set. And so after, you know, we finished around four sets or so of this, you're done. you maximize all those fast-twitch fibers. And, and what the research has shown us just from strength training is that Once you've hit failure and you've used all those fast switch fibers, there's no need to keep going on. You can add more sets to it, but the gains are still probably going to be the same. So we take the
1: muscle to failure fairly rapidly, and then you're done. So let's back up a little bit and kind of talk about this. You know, blood flow restriction training is essentially a new thing in the United States. You've been cited as a leader in the U.S. in bringing this treatment to the states. But it's a technique that has origins in Japan, I believe. And I just want to know, how did you become aware of the technique? What made you want to explore it? Well, my last 11 years, I was at Brook Army Medical
2: Center and specifically at a place called the Center for the Intrepid. And and that's kind of one of the DOD's premier rehab facilities. And and our populations we really took care of were the amputees and what we call limb salvage, or people who really had mangled limbs but hadn't amputated their limb yet from blast trauma. And my group that I was specifically looking at clinically and researching was these limb salvage folks. And so we had tried multiple techniques with them to try and decrease what we call delayed amputations, where they, they would come back a year or two later and say, let's just go ahead and cut my limb off. And one of those techniques was a exoskeleton device that we put on their lower leg, and it was like a prosthetic that they were able to keep their leg, and they would wear it around their limb and in their shoe. But to use that, they had to be really strong to control it because it was a very stiff device. It was made out of carbon and Kevlar. So we needed to get their thigh muscles really strong. Unfortunately, these injuries were so bad lots of times that putting any kind of load on their limbs to get strength back was extremely difficult. And so that was very frustrating to me and to our group. And so. My title there was Chief of Human Performance Optimization, and I uh, basically would go and I would look at anything in the literature that we were potentially missing, even if it wasn't 100% clinically proven yet, and and then meet with our scientists in the DOD and talk about, is this something that we can look at as something we would want to apply? And so looking at everything out there for getting strength back in these kind of compromised individuals, we kept coming across this blood flow restriction stuff. There was a lot of data that was already being done in Japan, and we always put a skeptical eye on on stuff coming from one group and coming out in journals that we didn't really know uh, really well. And so then more and more stuff started coming out in what we call higher tier or the really good journals from different labs around the world that were confirming the results that we were seeing. You know, kind of what sealed the deal is, is we started tinkering around with it first on ourselves and our staff with some of these research tourniquets, and then uh, spoke at a regenerative medicine conference in Pittsburgh. We were trying to regrow tissues and in, in soldiers who had had their tissues kind of blown off from these blasts. And one of the questions that they asked about our model that we were using is how we were coming up with ways to increase, you know, the strength and hypertrophy, and specifically, Muscles have stem cells in them, and these stem cells, if you exercise hard enough, it looks like they're activated, and and you kind of are able to create bigger muscle fibers. You know, they asked us, you know, scientific-type questions, because these are hardcore scientists from around the world.
0: We didn't have a great answer
2: for how we would do it in this group, and then about six months after that conference, a paper in the Journal of Physiology came out on blood flow restriction that showed, actually, these satellite cells or these stem cells in the muscles being activated from blood flow restriction compared to the group that exercised without it. And that got my DOD scientists really excited, and we decided to start moving forward and and trying it in this limb salvage population.
1: And so what kind of results did you see?
2: They were tremendous much better than we thought and then much higher than what we saw in the published literature in our population because our population was so compromised that when we measured their strength they had in their limbs compared to their other limb, it was very, very low. And so when we would put this on them, we would just see this explosion of strength and hypertrophy early on. And a lot of the literature that was out there looking at blood flow restriction is done on healthy people. And so the gains were more modest. There were always significant gains, but our gains with these injured people, were much greater. And so we went full board and then started to apply it to every condition that we had at the Center for the Intrepid. And we looked back at our data from our initial cohort of patients and published that initial data showing those great results in, in the Journal of Special Forces right off the bat. And that kind of spurned on
1: where it's all gone now. Yeah, and so that, those results have inspired action. You know, in, in February 2015, there was a story citing that the Houston Texans became the first NFL team to adopt the technique I'm sure others are exploring it or have adopted it already. All of these stories cite the the potential for blood flow restriction training and the promising results, but, of course, they also always stress that, yeah, these are, though, early results, and you indicated that as well. And relatively speaking to other techniques that have been around for longer, the sample size of the data is smaller. Obviously, you believe in the technique, you've seen results, but from your perspective even, where does there need to be more research? Where will blood flow restriction training benefit from more data?
2: so there's a lot of areas that we want to look at. The one thing again I I'm going to say with it is that we do know that it works. And so most people when they have an injury and they go through rehab, they're always lifting probably a lighter load than we will see that will create a positive response in the muscle. And that's just, you know, the part of injury. And so now we know there's just way too much data for us to ignore that doing these low loads that we would see in rehab with a tourniquet on will see these positive strength and hypertrophy results. And clinically because the results have been so promising, usually the clinical side kicks in first before the research side has time to catch up. And so, you know, we've got three large healthcare systems that have trained and we're at 16 NFL, NBA, and Major League Basketball and NCAA D1 schools that are all doing it now and, and, and lots of private clinics. And so it's already getting adopted in the clinics. Uh, everyone's results that they've been getting back to me with have, have been similar to ours and, and very, very promising. Now we need to dial it into who's the best candidates, you know what kind of injuries are best, what's the best pressures to use? You know, we're really hoping to dial down the details. And research for the clinical side, you know, we'll do these small studies and we see significant changes. What we really need to show this has a big effect is big research trials. And these big research trials costs a lot of money, and usually in the rehab world, we have a hard time getting that kind of money to pull off these big trials. The the success of blood flow restriction has been so great in the clinical side that you know just me alone, we have over $6 million going in in prospective clinical trials. Looking at this, I think we have 14 centers now doing multi-center trials, so we're gonna have some big numbers coming out here in the next few years that we hope will be
1: promising, and I think we'll really seal the deal on this. You talked about the great benefits for Wounded Warriors. Give me a sense of the different conditions that this can be effective for.
2: Yeah, and so I can just kind of go down the line of what we're studying now, because what we do first is we apply it in the clinic on patients, and then we look at our data and see if we had positive changes, and, and that gives us a reason to say let's go forward with a study, and especially to go forward and ask can we get some money to go with this study. You know, our first groups were just the knee surgery patients, and so we just finished a trial with people who just had knee scopes doing blood flow restriction. The blood flow restriction group, it's not published yet, but they did better in in all the measures compared to the control groups. ACLs, there's two studies ongoing with anterior cruciate ligament surgeries. We have one for chronic thigh weakness where people would go back to see their doctor after a knee surgery at six months and say, you know, I'm just not really where I need to be, and those people do great with it. And so we have a study looking at those people who have a hard time recovering their strength. If you've torn your Achilles tendon, then you're going to be immobilized for six weeks, and the calf muscle just shrinks up to nothing. Those have done great, and so we have a study looking at those. A rotator cuff study, so if you've had a rotator cuff tear and have surgery, we're looking at that group. We have a very large study because there's some data that shows us that BFR, blood flow restriction, might not only help get your strength and hypertrophy back, it might even help with some bone healing. So we have a femur fracture study going with pretty much the largest trauma centers in the country signed up for that one. We have a wrist fracture study looking at regaining wrist strength. You know, my mother-in-law broke her wrist and that was about four years ago, and she, you, know, you get in a cast for six weeks and come out, and she's older, so it was hard for her to get her strength back. She still can't open a jar, and so those kind of people, if we can not only maybe improve the bone healing but also keep that strength and size so when they do get out of the cast, they're able to start doing things functionally, those are great groups. And so those are just some of the studies that we have going and, and some of the clinical applications that we've seen. We also do it, obviously, on on our amputees and our limb salvage patients at the Center for the Intrepid.
1: And earlier you mentioned that there have been tests on effectively healthy people. And so is that where this could go? I mean, could we be moving towards something where people who are already fit and want to be more fit use blood flow restriction training to help their conditioning?
2: Yeah, and it already is. If you just Google you know, blood flow restriction or occlusion training or something, pretty much every YouTube video that starts to pull up is some person in the gym doing something, usually using a wacky thing to cut off their blood flow, which we don't agree with. So it's getting very popular with the healthy individuals. A lot of the data that's out there and published in the literature has been on healthy individuals, and there's papers showing that athletes show improvements with this. I think it's gonna go down that road. I still believe that if you can lift heavy, and lift traditionally, you should probably do that. This is a nice way to maybe augment it so you can give your body a little bit of a break from all of those heavy lifts and you don't have the muscle damage or soreness on the joints and tendons. And also in the pro world, this is already becoming something with some of the teams I work with. They'll use the blood flow restriction training in season where if if the guys beat down and then sore from a game, the last thing he probably wants to do is go get in a squat rack and lift 300 pounds. You can go do blood flow restriction training and still see these similar results and not have the same soreness or muscle damage or soft tissue kind of pain that you would typically have. Some of the NBA teams actually already take these on the road with them, and and when they're on road games, they'll go in the hotel and use this in the
1: hotel fitness rooms. You mentioned the kind of do-it-yourself model that you've seen people adopt on YouTube videos and things of that nature. Are there dangers to people doing that?
2: It's a fairly safe modality, but there's always potential dangers when you're using a a tourniquet. And there's a difference. So if you choose to go to the gym and do things to yourself, you know, you've made that decision. And so if we're going to talk about patients, if a clinician chooses to put something on a, a patient to stop blood flow, then they should be using a tourniquet, and that's a different scenario. There are things that people need to be aware of. We really looked at this long and hard before applying it in the military setting because the last thing we wanted to do was hurt one of our wounded warriors. And so everyone you know, gets worried that they're gonna get blood clots with tourniquets. And that's not really a concern. Most of the data shows us that it's, especially in, in the way we're applying it, there's not a risk of blood clot. But what there is a risk of is if you don't use a proper tourniquet system, there can be some nerve damage. Tourniquets are medically registered FDA devices, and they're very safe. There's thousands of tourniquets being used in surgeries today. But these guidelines that have been laid out said, okay, tourniquets in a controlled clinical environment should be hooked up to a system that monitors the pressure. You know, Everyone's pressure that is needed is different based on the size of their limb, where the cuff's placed, how big the cuff is, what their systolic blood pressure is. So you need to have a way to monitor what's the right pressure to use. And you shouldn't be using these thin straps or things you know, like a battlefield medics tourniquet, that's to save a life, to stop blood from coming out. It's not to save a limb. So if you're in a clinical or a safe environment, you, we need a
1: wider controlled cuff system. So things are happening pretty quickly with blood flow restriction training. So let's close with this. Play fortune teller for me 10 years from now. How popular will this be? How integrated will this be in the larger healthcare system and the larger health and wellness community?
2: I think in 10 years from now, it's probably going to be integrated throughout the healthcare community. I really don't feel like this is a fad. There's just too much scientific data to back it up. And the papers being published, you know, almost monthly now coming out showing these positive changes are going to give it more and more fuel to get into the clinical setting. And so I think 10 years from now, we will probably have all sorts of different systems being used and we'll be able to dial in exactly which populations are best for it and how to apply it. But in the rehab side of this, It's just going to become part of common practice, I really feel.
1: Johnny Owens, thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com slash radio.